0: Hey, we made it to episode three. You know, it occurs to me as I sit here at home socially distancing that a life well-lived must include a myriad of distractions. I don't know about you, but I've always been a bit of a workaholic, spending upwards of 60 hours a week involved in some kind of work exercise and then finding distractions on the nights and weekends with family and friends. A beer and cigar after work, a trip to the mall to wander and grab a bite to eat, or to go sit in a dark room with strangers and eat some popcorn watching a movie. Those are my favorite relief valves for the day-to-day stresses, and I am looking forward to doing them freely again. The most disturbing part of this pandemic is the disruption of the distractions. And while I'm not arguing against the recommendations of science or public health, I struggle at times to understand why this pandemic has had so much more impact on the day-to-day than, say, the Spanish flu in 1917. You know, the movie business has never been shut down the way it has in the COVID era through its entire history, and that includes World War II. I'm sure there are things we can do better to get back on whatever the new normal footing will be. Uh, for me, it's all about more and better data to help properly gauge the risk that we go out into every day. Well, what do you think? How are you coping with the disruption of your distractions? Edward Branley is a writer, teacher, historian, and computer nerd. Branley is the author of six books on the history of New Orleans, as well as several young adult fiction novels. Teaching is Edward's passion and vocation. He earned a degree in secondary education from the University of New Orleans and taught at a Catholic high school in New Orleans after graduation. Then he moved to teaching adult continuing education for teachers. And now teaches computer classes on high-end topics such as converged computing environments, high availability, and enterprise storage management. Hey, Edward, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time today.
1: Oh, you bet. Thanks, Jeff. This is going to be fun.
0: Yeah. You know, you are probably the closest I've ever come to an actual real renaissance man <laughs> in my life. I mean, you're you're a teacher, you're a writer, uh, both of fiction and history, right? You're a historian, right. and you're a computer guy, so... You've kind of got it all all covered. Tell us a little bit about your life, what you do, and, um, you know, what, what the normal day-to-day is like for you.
1: You bet. Okay. Well, I, I started out, you know, talking about all these different things I do, but a lot of this all comes back to teaching because I got, uh, I got my degree in uh, uh, secondary education from University of New Orleans. And yeah, I was a social studies uh, teacher, you know, teaching American history and, you uh, you know uh, civics and that kind of stuff in uh, a Catholic high school here in New Orleans. But of course, that doesn't really pay, right? So I was working, at uh, I was working, you know, working nights and weekends at at the Radio Shack, and so I started. Well, I started selling computers, and then what happens, of course, is then people start saying, "Hey, can you do this for me and do that for me?" And uh, Radio Shack doesn't like you moonlighting, so that when I stopped teaching, I started doing that. Hey, can you do this and that for me as an independent consultant? And uh, that's where the you know that that was the money thing. But I never really left teaching. In that respect, I always would do compute local computer training and that kind of thing. And then in uh, about 97, I was approached uh, by a uh, training partner for Digital Equipment Corporation, who i had ah. been doing Unix and stuff on their machines for a long time. And um, so I was approached by this company, said, well, you know, you could you could teach this, right? And I said, sure, I'm a teacher. I could just it wouldn't be hard to ramp up on the latest Version of the software and everything, so that's where the the traveling and that kind of stuff started, and okay. <clears throat> so that's you know that's where that came from, and then the history. Well, of course, I never left teaching, and I never lost my 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 passion for history and everything else. But I was up in uh, in Boston. Uh, Cause well, digital being in, you know, the, yep. you know, that, that whole bit. Right. And uh, so I'm up in Metro Boston and I'm teaching, uh, uh, f- you know, teaching a class up there and I see all of these books in the, this is years ago. I right? was a big old Borders, right? You know, in downtown Boston. So I'm I'm looking at these books, and they're all I've got these sepia tone covers. And so I start saying, "This is all local history stuff." So I go back to the to the hotel, check the Arcadia Publishing website, and they don't have much on New Orleans. So I you know kind of sent a flippant note f- to the acquisitions editor at the time, and she sent a flippant reply back with oh. a, a, a author's kit saying. Well, if you think you can do better, you know, and so, well, challenge accepted. I wrote a book on the history of one of our streetcar lines and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of grown into that. But with the travel, it was easy, right? Because what do you do when you travel? And you know this, you you, you lock yourself in the hotel or you go to a pub. And if you go to a pub, it's not even the drinking, it's the money you spent, right? So now I could lock myself in the room and write. And that was wonderful. It was ironic by like, say, uh, by ten, going into 2012, I'm doing more. Uh, you know, we're, we're centralizing things a little bit. They're coming to only a few specific cities. Still traveling. I'm still like diamond with Delta at this point, right? You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. but and then, but as it grew on, is when more people became accustomed to Webex. Basically, since I want to say maybe 17 or so, I, I, the only time I travel now is if I'm teaching a hardware class for, well, because most of my work is with uh, Hitachi Ventara. And um, so if, you know, their, their field service people will all gather together where there's a Hitachi data center, and then I'll teach the, the, the stuff, right. You know, that kind of thing. But all the customer stuff is browser based and everything else. You know, we we set it all up. We use Citrix. And, you know, so that's that kind of thing. What was ironic about that is I was still doing a lot of European travel. Europeans hated remote classes. They wanted they wanted the human interaction. Right. So I was traveling more. To Scandinavia than I was around the United States at that point, which actually in a way, that was kind of fun because then it wasn't a grind. It's like, hey, you want to go spend two weeks in Vienna, you know And I'm like, oh, let me me think about it yeah Yeah. you know
0: so yeah well give me give me 30 (laughs) seconds to decide on that one exactly yeah
1: Yeah. you know oh yeah yeah, i have a um a a friend who was a, a hitachi manager uh she'd get me to commit to coming over for a week and then she would try to parlay that into two or three and one time uh she said okay can you go to can you go to vienna for a week well before that can you fly to amsterdam and teach in the netherlands for a week and then pop down to vienna and go home from there then she books another class after that and the way she talks me into it is to send me a, a link to the website for the vienna christmas festival at the <laughs> Palace. okay now you know it's a here i am with the history right and she's like you know it's vienna's lovely at christmas i'm like oh you you're, you're 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 evil you know? <laughs> uh-huh. so i ended up like yeah i'm four weeks on four weeks living out of a suitcase but two of them are in vienna yeah you, know, uh, you know yeah anyway yeah Did so,
0: you ever you you ever take family along when you're doing those kind of trips take, i've taken helen i've taken my wife or well
1: actually what's happened with the way that used to work is she would come up like because she works right she's a cpa so she yeah. what, what what would happen is uh in particular going back to the boston days you is if I had classes back to back, I wouldn't come home and she would come up and we'd spend a weekend in Boston or a weekend in Atlanta or something like that with the, with the European stuff. Yeah. There's been some times where you you're, you're, I'm there for two weeks in the UK. So we'd have that weekend weekend in London kind of thing. And that can, then she would, she came for a few days one time uh, when I was teaching in the Netherlands and yeah, it, it's been fun. Yeah. She's She's been able to have some fun with that.
0: That's that's cool. I've always felt guilty. I worked for Disney for 10 years, and I spent a lot of time in Orlando at the parks right. because we had a an animation studio there, and we also had the main corporate data centers were located on the property out there. And so I would, at different points in, in those 10 years, I would travel to the parks either Twice a year, or in the end, when I was at corporate, probably five or six times a year. Oh, nice! And never, yeah. never had the opportunity to take the family. Um, that's yeah, partly- that's a shame. I mean, I guess
1: I yeah. mean you, I mean you guys live in in LA, right? But so it's yeah, like, it's yeah. Disneyland. Yeah. But yeah,
0: but you yeah. don't, yeah, you don't get the Florida experience. Yeah, uh, Orlando's yeah. different because you've got all the different parks and you got right. the hotels and all that. And it, and it's you know it's ironic because my son and daughter are five years apart, which was intentional because my sister and I were born five years apart. And I realized that the balance in ages really helped in the long run. You know, having, Uh having an older brother, uh, for the younger sister was a good thing. But because of that, he was too young to go on the rides. And then when he was finally old enough to go on the rides, she was too young. young. Yeah. Uh huh. And, and so, uh, the last trip back East while I was still at Disney um, we were going to try to do the, we were going to New York for a family event cause our family was still back there. Right. And then we were going to go down to Orlando and go to the park and then come back to LA. But this was after nine 11 and everything was travel was just miserable. Right. I mean, especially with little kids, especially when you're doing a bunch of one ways. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and we realized that, you know, both my wife and I grew up in New York city, but. Neither of us have ever taken the kids there and shown them the city. Uh, right? we, would, we would go back every year to visit family, but we never did touristy things. Yeah. So that year instead we did the Museum of Natural History, we did the Statue of Liberty, right? We went in and had vacation in New York and it was great. But, you know, in the end I never got them to Disney World.
1: My dad uh was uh yeah, born and raised uh in well uh yeah, born and raised in Manhattan. And, uh, took us back. I think I was maybe nine or 10 years old at the time. And my, uh, I've got two sisters, one's an Irish twin. She's 11 months, you know, after me and, um, okay and uh basically uh, they they took us up did the same thing we drove up to boston then drove back down and hit new york it was the that trip was the first time that my dad who grew up yeah first time he left new york when he was 17 to join the air force that was the, the but that trip with the family was the first time he'd ever gone up in the statue of liberty you know how it is you're, you're yeah. Yeah, you're from
0: there. You don't do yeah, I don't do yeah. That. Yeah. I live in Los Angeles and we have amazing beaches. And when you live here every day and you're walking distance from the beach, you don't always go and do it, right? Because it's always there unless right. you're young and you like to do the the surfing and all of that. And as soon as the beaches became unavailable because of the pandemic, everybody had to be there all the time. <laughs> and it led to The craziness that's unfortunately left California in this state where we're resurging because, you know, everybody congregates. Talk about what it was like there in New Orleans, because I know New Orleans got hit pretty hard early on and it was right around Mardi Gras, right? Right. What what happened was Mardi
1: Gras was uh, middle of the road, you know, uh, third week of February in 2020. Mm -hmm. Now. At that point, if you think back the 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 virus was you know Wuhan was a thing, and nobody was yeah. really looking at it from uh this could happen here standpoint. you know there were some people sounding some some general alarms but you didn't have anything serious at that point. So there was no advisory that, you know, maybe having half a million people in the streets of New Orleans crowding together and passing by and yeah. yelling at floats was a good uh, it was a bad idea, right? So, yeah, it basically so Mardi Gras happened and well it was, it was a pretty good yeah, everybody had a good time and everything. But of course, that's when People from other parts of the country brought the thing back with them. Uh, yeah, we never hit the disaster levels like that New York had. You know, we had we had an you know we had you know way too many deaths, but we never really hit that overflow. Like there was actually yeah. a, a controversy. We have the really big the 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 it's called the Ernest Morial Convention Center. It's huge. You know, the very first convention in there in 1984 was a helicopter convention. And the thing was big enough to have the, you know, the. Um, they yeah. converted several of the main halls for the convention center into a field hospital and then never had to use it, which, you know, thank God, you know, yeah. knock on wood and all of that. Right. But but yeah. uh, we still had. Yeah, we still had high numbers. And then the state in general, we we caught the worst. We we did catch the worst of, of it in, in hindsight, if we if we could have cut off Mardi Gras, something like that, maybe the whole thing. We would have, might have been situated better, but we've done a pretty good job of rolling
0: with it since. So, um, How are the people of New Orleans responded? So did New Orleans have a lockdown order? Um, well, yeah. The important thing to remember about New Orleans, we talk
1: about Metro New Orleans. It's basically uh, what we call the tri-parish area. Cause civil parishes are counties. Okay, so if you hear me talk about Jefferson Parish and Orleans Parish, yeah. that's... That's the counties, right? So, um, Got it. so Orleans Parish, which is the entire city of uh, of New Orleans, there's no um, non incorporated area. Orleans Parish set up some uh, the 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 mayor, Mayor Cantrell. She immediately put in some some fairly tight lockdown down orders, basically. All the bars are closed, this kind of thing, you know, so so that helped that helped a lot. Um, One of the things that that happened down here is, you know, I'm I'm sure you've read and you've experienced the um, the whole issue of the virus hitting African-Americans disproportionately for yeah. and people try to sort out why. Well, New Orleans, Orleans, New Orleans. If you look at the the metro area, is about one point one million people. And of that, Orleans Parish in the city that you know, the, the the municipality is about uh four hundred and fifty thousand people. And of that four hundred fifty thousand that live in Orleans Parish, it's about sixty percent African American. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's one of the things that that. We had that issue going on. And then we had a couple of uh of nursing homes that turned into these awful, you know, tragic yeah. clusters, right? You know, yeah. and so so yep. we had that. But basically, if the, the quick reaction by by city government took care of a lot of this, the parish governments outside of the city, the suburban areas are very, very Republican and being in the South, very, very pro-Trump. And so yeah. lockdown orders were not taken well. They were not well-received, maybe, is the words.
0: Yeah, I, wondered, I was going to ask you about <laughs> what the... What the environment is like down there, because New Orleans proper, the mayor is a Democrat, but the state is uh
1: No now the governor our governor is actually a Democrat. John Bell Everett. Oh really? Yes. Okay. John Bell Edwards is a Democrat, but he's a very conservative Democrat. For example, he is an anti abortion Democrat, which will just light up people, you know, that lights up Democrats nationally. But he is a Democrat. He's very, very progressive on some things, but he's also he is pro life pro gun. Okay, so so there's not but then he is very much uh, pro not having six, seven thousand African Americans incarcerated in the state. As a matter of fact, I was just reading this morning there is a lawyer in Jefferson Parish, which is our Orange County. Okay, it's our okay, yeah. So uh, there's already there's already a guy that's suing the governor for a mask mandate you know, to to invalidate it. Right. That kind of,
0: the, the, the mask thing absolutely amazes me. It's, it's the, it's sure it's an inconvenience, but it's the least inconvenience that you could be faced with. Let me tell you. And, And it's and it'll what reduce the risk of of transmitting the disease. Right. Right. It's just so idiotic. that we have to go through this. Well, down here, I kind of look at it, too. Like, you know, when we say
1: like there are people who are against masks, it's not so much that they're against public health issues as much as it is they want to stick it to the to the Democratic governor. You know, Uh,
0: so 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 let me ask you this. Do you, do you find that the Democratic governor reflects the, the actual way that the majority of people think in that community or was it just an anomaly that that person won and it's actually more of the other, the other direction? Um, It's, it's
1: more of the other direction, but what happened was uh, basically the, the the politics of the situation where that the Louisiana Republican party on a statewide level, they have a hard time fielding candidates that, that are good. And so, okay. For example, in our state and, and parish wide elections, are off cycle so that the, the, um, the governor's race and everything was last year in 19. So it'd be 19 to 23 kind of thing. And, um, and, and yeah, the, the, the Republicans are incredibly conservative, but in a way they are too conservative to go beyond that. Like if you had, uh, You know any kind of lobbying aspirations or or presidential aspirations, that kind of thing. So what ends up happening is is that Republicans that like the 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 two men that that are 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 our senators, they don't really want to be bothered with being governor because it's just easier to be a Republican in Washington right now. So so you end up like like the governor's race in in uh, last year, Uh, John Bell Edwards was running for re-election, running for his second term, and then two Republicans ran against him. One guy is a Congressman from uh, the northwest part of the state, up you know uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. He he's an, an an MD, and he got caught up in a pill mill scandal. So that okay. that tarnished him. The other guy was just a moron. You know, there's no other way. He's a <laughs> businessman, just a guy who had really no. You know, it's like everybody sitting here going, "Can you imagine if Eddie Rasponi had won? It would be like Florida. You know how Florida is reacting. Yeah. To, you know what's going on in Florida. With that would be Louisiana. We'd have the body bags and the overflow, and it would yeah. just be a mess. But so, so to answer your question though, the 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 general feeling is that people don't like to be told what to do. But I think when you get down to it, they like dying less, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is one of those things, right? You know.
0: All right, I'm going to pick on your history a little bit uh, while we're talking about New Orleans, which is a city that definitely ha- is rich in history. I mean, if you've got to live someplace and become a historian, that is a place to oh. be. Absolutely, Uh, without question. Yes, and of course, we're living through the first pandemic. I'm guessing in both of our lifetimes. But New Orleans, through its history, has had a lot of epidemics. So I'm guessing that that is a factor of it being such a busy port city, and it also being down in the tropics. That's that makes correct on both Um, the weather, the
1: the the climate, and the tropics. um, uh, The the French used to refer to New Orleans specifically. As the Isle d'Orleans, uh, the Isle of Orleans, because uh, while we're not an island in the geographic definition, we are effectively surrounded by water on all four sides of the city. So, if you look at the, like I said, right. what we call the tri-parish area, you know, basically on the in the west and in the east, everything is so much swamp and marsh. That uh, there's no, you know, there's there's huge gaps that separate the city from the rest of the state, and then of course to the north of the city is uh, Lake Pontchartrain, and then um, and then then uh, the Mississippi River to the south of the city, so that we're totally surrounded by water. We're we're surrounded by swamps, and what do swamps bring? Swamps have mosquitoes and yep. then that be there you go malaria yellow fever yeah we've been through every epidemic and a lot of it has to do with with mosquitoes it has to do with you know spreading yeah. these infections
0: so how does covid compare to past things like say spanish flu or you know some of the other things that you know about from yeah the history okay of well
1: the, the 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 first biggest
0: uh, the first biggest epidemics,
1: the first biggest breakouts, are of course mar- malaria and yellow fever. More so, uh, yellow fever. Uh, uh, one of the one of the stories we have, uh, uh, of course, you know, New Orleans being French and then Spanish colonial it was very Catholic, you know, still to this day a very Catholic city. The the main parish church eventually became the what is what is now St Louis Cathedral. You know that was the the, the French Quarter church. Um, along the way, in uh, I want to say eighteen twenty. 1821, 1821, they built what was called a mortuary chapel. It's now a, um, now a, a a parish just outside uh, the French quarter, but uh, they called it the mortuary chapel because it was right next to the first Catholic cemetery. So that when the yellow fever outbreaks hit, you didn't have to bring the deceased into the, the, the cathedral for the funeral. You'd have the funeral in a fairly nice church on the outskirts of the city next to the cemetery then you'd have your, okay. you know, have your funeral mass and then bury them from there. Yeah, we've had way too much experience with that over time. All throughout the 19th century, we had tons of uh, just yellow fever outbreaks at different points. And and now Spanish flu, that's less about our climate and more about that sucker just spreading like this pandemic, right? So, you know, right. we, we, we took a hit there. What's different about uh, this pandemic And the like all of these yellow fever outbreaks and everything is these other outbreaks and diseases did not have the disparate racial impact that COVID-19 does. Yellow fever outbreak in 1868 hits the city. It's it's awful. Uh, Yellow fever outbreaks in the 1880s when Sicilian immigration starts coming in bad. Those didn't discriminate as it were. Right. You know, it's like there wasn't that reaction of, oh, this is hitting just this particular group kind of thing where COVID is like, say it's disproportionately disproportionately hitting African-Americans in particular down here. That becomes a, you know, basically white people are saying, "Eh, you know, do I have to worry about this? You know, that kind of thing. And yeah, that's yeah. So that's the in, in terms of comparison, the earlier epidemics in you know 1918, there were all the people who refused to wear masks again. But that's you know that that yeah. that aside, basically you you lived in the you, you you lived in the area you knew you could you did what you could to not catch it basically at that point.
0: Do you feel that because the city has more of a history of these kinds of things that it's better prepared for dealing with something like this? It's, it's a combination. Yeah. But the, the big yeah. thing, you know, in terms of any kind
1: of emergency preparedness, we get hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. That's and true. so, you know, we do have emergency response down here. You know, it's like when, when people raise an alarm and they think that, that in general, it's either government or uh, or, or the private sector, something you know, like like people aren't taking something seriously. It's easy to raise the alarm and say, "Remember what happened when you know, and that kind of thing." Yeah, and that's helped yeah. a lot. You know, you know where we run into problems with that is is with the tourists. You know, because it's like, yeah, you're like, you know, you shouldn't be out on Bourbon Street right now. And they don't get it because they're going back home to, you know, wherever yeah. to St. Louis yeah. or something. So, you know, you know, whatever. We know that there are times when you
0: have to take steps, right? You have to do things. Is it too early to say that at least institutionally, we're kind of learning lessons? Because my gut tells me we're uncovering things that we've never in our lifetime experienced before and I don't think this is the last time we're going to have this kind of uh, viral disease pass through the population. Oh, I, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. So are we learning something? I,
1: I like to think so. And and specifically, the, you know, the, the reason I say that is because we have learned an incredible amount about, you know, being prepared for a hurricane. You know, we had Hurricane Betsy in 1965. Those levies are now three and four times higher than they were in 1965. Katrina, you know, we saw that you know we had the biggest flooding problems for the city of New Orleans came from failure of flood walls for outfall canals. Uh, they were never severely tested, and I think we've learned from it. Like again, for example, turning the largest convention center in the southeastern United States into essentially a field hospital in a matter of about two and a half weeks. You know, we we knew how to do that. You know, so one of the things I've always felt medical centers like Tulane are gonna be the ones to come up with ways to mitigate the thing, you know, and 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 treat it.
0: And they have been the stuff they're learning in the hospitals as quickly as they are and the effects it's been having has been tremendous. I think that this is going to lead to a core change in the way we do medical science. We're demonstrating that we have both technology and need to speed things up and we may actually pull off having a functioning and working vaccine in just under a year or a year rather than having to uh wait, you know, 2 years before it gets through the process and gets exactly. out there. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. And I, and
1: again, I think that comes to uh what you're talking about about bigger picture issues is that There's always been concern about like, uh, you know, super viruses and super bacteria that's resistant to antibiotics. And I I think the medical industry has been thinking this way before. And, you know.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. I think that a a realist recognizes there are always going to be acceptable losses. But the reality is it's what you do because the alternatives will ultimately be worse right. yeah the alternatives just uh, so awful
1: I mean you know the more people that die yeah. it's just yeah it's not good
0: yeah if you get five people who die or 50 people who die in a in a vaccine trial versus half a million people who die because that vaccine took exactly. an extra year to yeah. come out now yeah. what, what I yep. don't
1: think we're gonna learn uh you know ramping up contact tracing and improving testing and everything else and yeah. i think that's a that here is a byproduct of a president who sees everything through the lens of re-election
0: and if we yeah. didn't have that things would be better this would have been a moonshot you oh, know yeah. what i mean there, there are two major things that frustrate me uh right now in california we've had months to get this under control there's no reason why we can't be uh baseline flat like in new york if we had all taken it seriously the problem out here is there's a there's a decent enough chunk of people that refuse to accept that this is real because it hasn't personally touched right. them yet. And by the time you get to the level where it's personally touched enough people that that the majority is paying attention, there's a lot of dead people yes. out there. The Trump attached failure to all of this, aside from the fact that he hasn't marshaled the resources of the greatest society on the planet to be able to do this kind of thing, is that... He's trying to pretend it doesn't exist because he thinks it's going to matter to his right. election. And instead of telling everybody, yeah, you got to wear the mask. I don't want to wear a mask either, but I'm going to wear a mask because, you know, we have to. It's the only right. way to help ourselves. Well, that's the thing. Yeah.
1: And, and it's like you're talking about know, when, when something doesn't personally touch you. I remember reading last week or the week before there was an article in the Washington Post that was talking about 30 uh, percent of African-Americans in the United States know somebody you know, t- either directly or tangentially to them know somebody that's died from this thing and so when you wow. focus on New Orleans, you figure, okay, if that many people personally know somebody. Well, when you when you live in a city that's 60% African American, then you start getting that whole
0: European reaction. So, in your in your life because you work a lot from home anyway and you're a writer and you teach for, I assume you're teaching from oh, home yeah. these uh-huh. days, other than the obvious, has the pandemic uh dramatically changed your life? Honestly,
1: well, break it into personal and professional, okay? In in terms okay. of yep. professionally, no. Basically, we've been using a, a remote model and teaching via WebEx now for about two, two and a half years. The one thing that, that's not happening for me that the big change was where you actually have to teach a field service engineer how to fix something, right? So you have to, you have right. to touch yep. the storage array. You have to touch the, 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 the blade servers, that kind of thing. So I haven't traveled for work si- literally since january uh but that hasn't stopped the the job the the writing side of things that's the part that you know uh yeah i i i don't want to sound like i'm whiny but you know this stuff is depressing and it's hard to write when you're depressed you know it's like you know i mean you know it's like i think everybody understands that one you know getting motivated get up and motivated and fiction where it's coming out of your mind and your mind is incredibly dark at different points it doesn't yeah. you know, especially like the 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 YA stuff, you know, my dragons fiction and everything else. It's like, how do you get yeah. in the? You know, it's like I keep wrestling with: do I put my my high school young adult characters? Do I do I pretend this doesn't exist, or do I put them in masks? And I don't know what to do with that yeah. yet, you know. And this is three months of it. I wrote a, written a couple of like historic thing, you know, kind of go in the way back machine and time travel a little bit with, with history writing that that's an escape, but the fiction has just been, Oh, you know, just such a mess. Oh, all right, no, thanks. Yeah, you know. It's sorry. it's,
0: it's, it's sorry. tough, right? You know. So what's the next 6 months look like, do you think? Well, um like I said,
1: New Orleans, we're we're one of these places that just, you know, we've rolled through everything, you know, and in particular with 2005 and Katrina. If we you know, I, I, there's a lot of people down here the attitude is, hey, if we got through that, we'll figure it out, right? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: so. cool. What can I plug for you? Here, here have <laughs> got a lot of stuff going on. Talk about oh. some of your projects and point absolutely
1: to okay the the biggest thing is on uh on social media i am nola history guy all one word on all so you know twitter instagram the the facebook page everything and nolahistoryguy.com and that's the jumping off point for everything for all of the history stuff I do, so you can see the books I've written because I've written six books on the history of New Orleans. There, the new projects right now, like I said, it's it's a lot of I'm doing a lot of small writing things. Like uh, uh, the, the 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 last thing that just I uh, sent out to a, a Big Easy Magazine two weeks ago was a little profile of a guy uh, a german guy who came to new orleans after the civil war and started a a mail order seed business that his family continued into the 1960s you know and just little things right you know just little profiles because i tend to be looking for something and i fall down rabbit holes you know so
0: very cool edward thank you for taking the time today thank you jeff this has been fun